This is a Vault Studios production. I'm Reed Redmond. I'm Spencer Brudig. I'm Will Johnson. This show contains graphic material and is meant for mature audiences. This week on True Crime Chronicles. He shortened her life. He took her right to choose her death away. The pharmacy didn't have enough fentanyl. That's an issue. Why do they not have enough fentanyl? Because this doctor keeps giving them to these patients. What would have happened if he hadn't have gotten that um, fentanyl? I mean, and it was in God's hands. I wonder, you know, what would have happened? But he didn't even get a chance to, to find that out. Late 2018. That's when the calls start coming in. When life is turned upside down. For families who'd believed for years their loved ones had died of natural causes. December of 2018 is kind of the jumping off point because that's when he's fired and that's when the hospital picks up the phone and starts calling these people who thought their loved ones may have died years earlier from natural causes and then the, the hospital telling them that wasn't the case. That's kind of when the lightning struck everything. It's also around this time that investigative reporter Bennett Haberly and others in the WBNS newsroom in Columbus, Ohio, would begin covering this story. So our first tip actually came in December when it was very vague. And it basically just said that there was a physician at the hospital, at Mount Carmel Hospital, who was being investigated. And we didn't have a name. We just had to keep digging and try to make inroads with sources or sources we didn't have and uh, try and figure out what exactly happened over there. That is what exactly happened within the Mount Carmel Health System in Columbus, Ohio. It's a question that wouldn't be easy to untangle or even to begin untangling. So we, we had a couple of sources who had, who had called in, wanted to remain anonymous, and they were tied closely to the hospital. And we just kept pressing them for more details. And, you know, nothing was, we felt like we were kind of spinning our wheels a little bit. And so then my colleague, our, our researcher, said to me, we should start calling uh, some of the law firms. Maybe they represent, you know, someone who had something bad happen to them. Maybe they, maybe they filed a, uh, a civil lawsuit against them. And so we keep calling around, and, and eventually we, we find one law firm who uh, we think might, might know about this. And they said, yeah, well, we had one case uh, where this person, we thought it was, uh, you know, uh, there may have been an issue there, but uh, we're not sure that that's accurate. And so then we circled back with them, I think, maybe a week later, and we'd gotten additional documents, uh, internal documents from the hospital uh, that had been fed to us that basically said that um, that there was a physician who had been, who didn't live up to the standards of care, I think was the, the phrase used. By January 14th of 2019, that law firm had filed a suit against Mount Carmel, alleging that this physician deliberately gave an Ohio woman a deadly dose of the pain reliever fentanyl, a synthetic opiate that's up to 100 times stronger than morphine. Tonight, a Mount Carmel West doctor was accused of deliberately giving a woman a deadly dose of fentanyl. Now, Mount Carmel Health Systems is facing a lawsuit. Thanks for joining us at 6. I'm Jerry Revish. And I'm Yolanda Harris. 10 Investigates' Bennett Haberly joins us now with more allegations laid out in this lawsuit. Bennett? Uh, Jerry and Yolanda, we're learning more even at the 6 o'clock hour. This lawsuit alleges that a doctor at Mount Carmel West Hospital, along with the nurse and pharmacist, gave an Ohio woman a grossly excessive and lethal dose of fentanyl. But the allegations don't end there. 
The lawsuit alleged that this was not an isolated incident, that at least 26 other Mount Carmel patients may have met the same fate, all of them patients of the same physician, Dr. William Husel. The doctor named in the lawsuit is the man on your screen, Dr. William Husel. The lawsuit alleges that Husel ordered 1,000 micrograms of fentanyl to be given to Janet Kavanaugh through her IV. It goes on to state that Mount Carmel and the pharmacist approved the order and that the nurse administered what ultimately became a fatal dose. Ten investigates reached out to both Dr. William Husel this evening and he declined to comment, but asked that I call his attorney, which I did. We also reached out to the hospital who provided us with a lengthy statement that reads in part, During the five years that the doctor worked here, he ordered significantly excessive and potentially fatal doses of pain medication for at least 27 patients who were near death. These patients' families had requested that all life-saving measures be stopped, yet the amount of medicine the doctor ordered was more than what was needed to provide comfort. And that basically tipped off everything. Everything started to snowball. The first lawsuit was filed on that same day the hospital put out a public video statement saying that this had happened and apologizing uh, to the families for their losses. Hello, I'm Ed Lamb, president and CEO at Mount Carmel Health System. Mount Carmel recently reported to authorities the results of an internal investigation regarding the care provided by a doctor who until recently worked with patients requiring intensive care. During the five years he worked here, this doctor ordered significantly excessive and potentially fatal doses of pain medication for at least 27 patients who were near death. The statement goes on for a few more minutes, with Mount Carmel president and CEO Ed Lamb noting that Mount Carmel had removed Dr. Husel from all patient care and terminated his employment. Lamb also says 20 other staff members have been removed from patient care, including nurses and pharmacists involved in the care of the 27 patients. And importantly, he specifically faults Mount Carmel's safeguards as being insufficient. We take responsibility for the fact that the processes in place were not sufficient to prevent these actions from happening. 10TV would later uncover a second video, one sent out only to staff members, that appears to focus the blame not on insufficient safeguards, but on staff members ignoring safeguards. Sadly, our investigation revealed that some of our colleagues did not meet our standard of care. The actions that created this tragedy were instigated by this physician and carried out by a small number of good people who made poor decisions. They ignored the safeguards we have in place. 10TV's investigation would also raise questions about the timeline of Dr. Husel's removal. Mount Carmel says it received a formal report concerning an allegation about Dr. Husel's patient care on October 25th, 2018. Dr. Husel would be removed from patient care on November 21st, then inexplicably recredentialed and reappointed to the active medical roster at the hospital on November 26th, before ultimately being fired on December 5th. Between October 25th and November 21st, the window of time after Mount Carmel says it received that report about Dr. Husel's patient care, and before he was removed the first time, three more patients died under Dr. Husel's care, allegedly after being prescribed large doses of fentanyl. Was there any chance to remove him Not prior before to before October, no. No, no upper-level management knew prior to that? No. 
In the time since TimeTV first broke this story, the reporters have looked back at Dr. Husel's past. And one question their reporting has raised is how he was hired in the first place. If the Mount Carmel Health System's background check was sufficient, if it went back far enough. Because had it gone back further, it would have found that Husel had a criminal record. When he was in college, he'd gotten in trouble for making a pipe bomb. And he gets in trouble in, in federal court for making this pipe bomb. And it doesn't show up on the background check that the hospital did because the hospital later admits to us that their background check only went back 10 years to 2003. So Husel was in college before that. And so they didn't pick it up. And, and that sticks out to some people because they it goes against the doctor's oath to do no harm. You know, how does a person with that uh, on their record go on to become a physician? And Husel's explanation to the state medical board was that he was young and immature and that he was hanging around with the wrong crowd and that he learned his lesson um, by, by going through that experience and it made him a better person and that he put his nose to the grindstone, studied hard, went back to school and became a physician and that his passion was caring for patients. But it was certainly... It left a question mark on his past for some people, not for everybody. Husel would begin working at Mount Carmel in the fall of 2013. And it's about, I believe, a year later that the first cases identified by the hospital start to pop up. I think one of the, the women who received a lower dose, uh, a lower dose compared to some of the others, starts in 2014, and the cases continue for there. To make sense of these cases and the eventual allegations against Dr. Husel and the Mount Carmel Health System, we have to know a little more about the drug at the center of them, fentanyl. What's interesting about fentanyl is it's obviously a very powerful synthetic opioid. And it's it's used, obviously, uh, for a number of medical maladies. Uh, obviously, people have heard about fentanyl because of the horrible overdose problem that we have in America. Uh, but from... A hospital setting, uh, the drug is often used, uh, at least in this case, to help uh, suppress what they call the death rattle. Or when a person has air hunger and they're in their final moments of life, uh, this physician believed that fentanyl was a good drug to use. Not every physician uses fentanyl. Other physicians in this same scenario would use morphine. Um, or other other pain medications that they felt more comfortable with. This doctor, for whatever reason, felt like fentanyl was his drug of choice. And that is a fact that's not been debated by anyone. The question, however, is how much is too much? We're going to be getting a little technical here, but oftentimes fentanyl and other strong pain medications are titrated to pain. In other words, doctors will start by prescribing a really low dosage and slowly increase that amount based on its effectiveness or based on the persistence of pain. And we've heard testimony from other, uh, other nurses or other physicians who have, have worked in the medical field or have, who have dealt with patients, um, hospice patients or patients on palliative care. And they've said that, you know, they, you could start with, depending on a person's weight and whether they're opioid naive, whether they've used drugs before or not, uh, you can start with 50, 100, 125, 150, uh, 250. The fentanyl dosages prescribed by Dr. Husel to many of the patients in the lawsuit 
are a lot higher than 250 micrograms. The dosages we're talking about in this case were 400, 500, 800, 1,000, 2,000. So dosages that in some cases were 10, 20 times higher than than dosages that you had seen in other uh, similar settings. After Dr. Husel's firing, additional allegations would surface. All told, the hospital has identified 35 patients that they say either got excessive or potentially fatal doses of fentanyl. And those cases start as far back as 2014 and in September of 2014, and they carry through all the way to November of 2018. All of these dosages were prescribed to patients identified by the hospital as near death. Although the term near death can mean a lot of different things, and the prognosis for each patient differed. The age range was, you know, mid to late 30s uh, into the upper 70s and 80s. And a lot of them were in bad shape. Um, the hospital described them uh, initially as, as near-death patients. Uh, some had come in and uh, were alert and oriented. Others uh, were coding and had to be saved on the way into the hospital. So their conditions varied greatly. Um, but what's jumped out is there, there were some, there were a handful, at least five, that the hospital identified later that said, were it not for these drugs, we think the outcome may have been different. And his side of things, his attorneys will, will dispute that um, till the cows come home. Um, but, but that's one of the allegations that I think stirred some of these family members was that uh, it, it, many of them acknowledged that their loved ones were going to die and others are left with the fact or, or the concern that maybe they wouldn't have, maybe they would have recovered. What would have happened if he hadn't have gotten that um, fentanyl? I mean, and it was in God's hands. I wonder, you know, what would have happened, but he didn't even get a chance to, to find that out. But you're just left wondering with them, um, you know, how do you split that atom? It's hard to say, um, you know, that you're kind of left with this internal struggle that knowing that these families initially thought that their loved ones died from a natural cause. And now that whole story has been upended. I'm in shock. I mean, this is crazy. This is 2019. Hello. I mean, I just, I really didn't think that this could happen in this day and age, to tell you the truth. Christine Allison says she's grieving the loss of her husband, Troy, all over again. Her husband of 11 years, a man's man, she says, had been battling health issues for months when he was taken to Mount Carmel West Hospital in July of 2018. It went south from there. Chest compressions couldn't save him, and he died within hours. Troy's medical records show he'd been given 1,000 micrograms of fentanyl, ordered by Dr. William Husel. The system failed tremendously. Allison said her interactions with Dr. Husel were positive, saying she found him compassionate and trusted him. Now, her opinion has changed. I think the man should be in jail. So you, you kind of felt for a lot of these families just from that, that, that lack of closure standpoint, whether you believe the allegations or you don't. Uh, the fact is that these, people's, uh, these people are having to grieve twice. Bennett Haberly remembers sitting down with family members of some of the other patients, including a 71-year-old auxiliary nun, Joanne Belisari. So she was one of the first patients um, to have been, uh, in terms of chronological order, she was one of um, the first patients the hospital identified 
to have received too much pain medication. And Joanne Belisari's family, they were angered by the lax internal controls that existed within this hospital setting. He shortened her life. He took her right to choose her death away. And I just feel that Mount Carmel should have should have stopped him long, long before this happened. Whether you think the drugs were high or weren't high or were appropriate, the truth is that there were lax controls within the hospital. According to her medical records, Joanne Belisari was given a 1,000 microgram push of fentanyl through an IV. It looks and appears to me you had a, a rogue doctor, you had uh, a, a, a breakdown in protocols in the hospital. They're saying it's comfort, but when when Joanne, Joanne, she was out of the comfort zone. She She was gonna die anyway. And, uh, and he uh, didn't even consult the family before he inserted the fentanyl. Joanne Belisari's case sticks out because her family were devout Catholics and they felt as though their trust was undermined by a Catholic hospital who would allow something like this to happen. But there were other patients other patients' families who also felt like they were had kind of had the rug torn out from under them by the hospital. You know, you want to believe it's just a bad dream and that it's not true. Lisa Coleman recalled a conversation she had with Dr. Husel about her father, Jim Allen. He said, I can promise you that he will not suffer and he'll go quickly. Did they tell you that Jim was brain dead? They said his, he was in complete organ failure. Right. That's what they told us. That's basically what they told us, too. Yeah. There were patients like a, a woman named Beverly Schertzinger who came into the hospital uh, to have a procedure done. Uh, I think, I believe it was with her kidneys. And her family, her children, had no anticipation that she was going to die. And that's what ended up happening to her. And the reason why her family and, and their attorneys are concerned about that is that there was another person who received um, a, a high dose or an alleged high dose uh, that same day. And they were just wondering, you know, how is this happening time and time again with, with such little oversight? And it, these cases continued uh, through, you know, 2016, through 2017, through 2018. And it really came to a head in the fall of 2018. That's when a pharmacist at the hospital starts asking questions about the high fentanyl dosages and contacts higher-ups after noticing that nurses on the ICU floor were regularly using an override function to gain access to drugs even after the hospital pharmacy rejected the orders. So in other words, you, you could order, you wouldn't have to tell the pharmacy you were doing a ventilator withdrawal? That's exactly right. You could just say, I need a thousand micrograms of fentanyl that is exactly right. So the source says that Husel was very much liked by his colleagues and that he even helped train some of the people working in the ICU. Did anyone challenge Dr. Husel over these high doses? No, Dr. Husel has been known to prescribe high doses of um, uh, narcotics and sedatives. He has been challenged and there have been verbal communications to uh, managers about uh, these things. Uh, but no one expected that these um, 
these events had led to death. And what we found through our investigation and through what health inspectors found was that the override function at Mount Carmel Hospital was being used routinely. I mean, they would override things for sterile water. They would override the machine for Tylenol, suppositories. They were overriding it for everything and bypassing the pharmacy. And so that became a point of contention in this story because the pharmacists felt like their authority was in some cases, not all cases, but in some cases being undermined. So then that pharmacist writes the note, expresses his concern to the manager. Then two more patients get high doses uh, days later. Uh, One uh, gets a, a high dose and then the next day, another woman gets a dose of 2,000 micrograms of fentanyl. And the pharmacist said that that dose drained the ICU of its entire supply of fentanyl. That one patient. The pharmacy didn't have enough fentanyl. That's an issue. Why do they not have enough fentanyl? Because this doctor keeps giving them to these patients. You know, um, the fact that he gave it to one patient and then gave it to another, and um, it's upsetting. And it's from there, in late November of 2018, that the ball st- really starts to start rolling. That Husel is suspended from the job in early December, he's fired. And shortly thereafter is when prosecutors get involved and the hospital picks up the phone and starts calling patients' families. On January 25th, 2019, the state medical board announced that it was suspending Dr. Husel's medical license. Then in February, Mount Carmel announced it was changing policies including capping doses of fentanyl and requiring that physicians and nurses get pharmacy approval before using medications during ventilator removals, one of the more common scenarios in which fentanyl is used. They also announced staffers were being re-educated on what to look for and ask questions if they have concerns about dosing. Meanwhile, more and more lawsuits were being filed and settled. Well, today, another wrongful death lawsuit was filed against the doctor, Mount Carmel Health. When this all started, there was one lawsuit. And then in January of 2019, things started to ramp up. And there was another one and another one, another one. And eventually, 30 wrongful death lawsuits were filed against the hospital. And initially, you didn't know where those were going to go. You didn't know how long this was going to be a drawn out civil process or 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 where that was going to end up. And several of them are still pending, but several of them have also been settled. And and to date, the hospital's paid out about $17 million uh, to the families of these patients. Then in June of 2019, this became a criminal case. Dressed in a suit, Dr. William Husel voluntarily turned himself in to Columbus police this morning. A few hours later, he was in a prison smock. Prosecutors charged Husel with murder, 25 counts of murder, in connection with 25 of the patient overdose deaths. Franklin County Grand Jury filed and returned a 25-count indictment against uh, Dr. Husel for murder. It was the largest indictment of its kind in the history of Franklin County, Ohio. His attorney says this is a case of a doctor who did no wrong. At no time did Dr. Husel ever intend to euthanize anyone. Euthanize meaning speed up death. That's not what police or the prosecutor says. They call this actions vile. It is our sincere hope the families of these victims will find solace by the state of Ohio holding Dr. Usel accountable for his devious conduct. Usel pleaded not guilty on all 25 counts. And when he was released on $1 million bond, 10TV reporter Brittany Bailey was waiting outside. 
ready to ask him some questions. Dr. Husel, do you have any answers as to why? Uh, no comment. Is it fair that you're walking out of jail today? Uh, no comment again, sorry. Do you have anything you can say to the dozens of families who are hurting right now? I have no comment for all your questions. You'll have to talk to my lawyer. It turns out his lawyer was nowhere to be found. So we did an entire loop around the block with William Husel. Do you plan, plan to maintain your not guilty, please? Yes. Do you feel you are not guilty? Yes. We went back into the courthouse through security and back outside again. Dr. Husel said that when you got here, he said his attorney can speak for him. Nope. No comment. Thank you. Anything you can say to the dozens of families who are hurting right now? Uh, no. Any explanation you can give on behalf of the doctor? Not right now. When you say not right now, when will that be? Well, I imagine there's going to be a trial. You might be asking why there are only 25 charges when the hospital identified 35 total patients as having died after receiving excessive dosages of fentanyl. Prosecutors narrowed that list based on the amount of fentanyl the individual patients received. And those 25 were people who got 500 or more. And I have found no one, nowhere, that says 500 micrograms of fentanyl is an appropriate use of uh, fentanyl for treatment of someone being taken off a ventilator. And that's where the criminal case is based on. It's, it's based on that floor, based on what they have been told from their medical experts about what is and what is not appropriate. Husel's defense team has seen that floor of 500 micrograms established by prosecutors as an opportunity. Husel's defense attorneys have said, aha, we have an opening. And they've recently identified other cases, other patients who they allege got even more, got 2,500 micrograms of fentanyl and lived for several days before dying. And they're using that as, as an example to say, how are you charging him with the deaths of some patients and, and not others? And, and basically alleging prosecutorial misconduct, saying that prosecution failed to, to share certain evidence with the defense and using that essentially as a wedge to try to toss out this entire case. Now, the judge hasn't ruled on that yet, and um, so we don't know where that stands. On the other side, the prosecutors are alleging that Husel's actions caused or hastened the deaths of these 25 patients, amounting to murder. The analogy the prosecutor used was these people were akin to candles, and they may have been burning out, most of their wax may have been gone already. But the actions of this doctor snuffed out the candle before it was ready to burn out. And, and that allegation is what they're using to basically say, this is a homicide case, that, that these are 25 murders that would not have happened were it not for the acceleration of their deaths through these drugs. William Husel has now been awaiting trial for over a year and a half. The case has been put on hold. It was supposed to go to trial, but because of COVID, uh, criminal procedures have been kind of delayed here. And so right now, this case is scheduled to go to trial in April or May of 2021. Um, but even right now, the judge has hinted that it could be delayed even further. As for the hospital's role in all of this, while it has changed some procedures and while it's been quietly settling civil cases, Administrators haven't said much publicly 
over the years. And while the hospital has acknowledged some responsibility, it has only communicated through news releases and videos it creates. They've cleaned the prosecutor's office and their own attorneys have told them not to speak about the scandal. So when Mount Carmel ends up in the news again with additional tragedies, a deadly helicopter crash involving a partner agency and a Legionella outbreak, when two of these incidents involved internal failures, we still had questions. Sean, I'm wondering, it appears as though you guys have gone from one controversy with the patient overdose scandal to this one dealing with Legionella. I'm wondering what role or responsibility administrators bear for that, mm. for both of those? You, you know, we're, we're talking about the Legionella situation today. Um, you know, if there's another time that you want to get together and talk about that, Samantha, I'm sure, can, can arrange for that. Sure. I'm well, I mean, we've asked that repeatedly. I just mm -hmm. want you guys have been rather sheltered from direct questions related to the patient overdose scandal. I'm just wondering if there's anything that you guys would care to share in regards to bearing responsibility for what happened, not only with that, but with this. Yeah, I mean, again, we, we're, we're, not, we're here to talk about Legionella today. Even with a potential criminal trial and dozens of wrongful death lawsuits, it may not answer all of the questions. We may never learn why. We do know how we got here. For True Crime Chronicles, I'm Will Johnson here with Reed Redmond and Spencer Brudig. Reed, uh, it's a complex case and there's so much to it. And, it. and it really makes you think about the fact that prosecutors will be bringing all of this, all of this information, you know, detailed medical information to a jury, it sounds like, of non-medical professionals, right? Yeah, and I would imagine that that's going to be a difficult thing to do. The question at the center of all of this is, if you're alleging that these doses are excessive, at what point exactly does that cross the line into being murder? And common sense says that that line does exist somewhere, that there's got to be some dosage that if a doctor prescribed it, they'd be committing murder. But the challenge for prosecutors here is finding where exactly that line is. And as you mentioned, ultimately proving to a jury of people who may not come in knowing a whole lot about fentanyl or about medical practice that that Husel crossed that line in these specific instances. And one other thing I should mention Related to all this is that the county prosecutor who brought these murder charges in the first place, his name is Ron O'Brien, he was unseated this past November. And that made a lot of people wonder if the new guy, his name is Gary Tyek, is going to approach this high-profile case the same way that O'Brien did. And there is some reporting in a local paper, essentially to the effect of the new prosecutor not being a fan of the indictment as it was drawn up and potentially favoring fewer murder counts. As I understand it, he's at least considering... Why not focus on a few or, or just the most egregious allegations, given that whether it's 5, 10, 20, 25 counts of murder, a conviction would likely mean Husel ends up behind bars for the rest of his life, no matter what. But as of now, he hasn't actually taken any action to that effect. So we'll have to, to keep an eye on it. And, you know, I, I just, I know, like, Will, you mentioned, this is not just a black and white kind of case. There's a lot of gray area, especially when it comes to, um, these folks that, you know, were considered, quote, close to death. Um, I, I do think it's just, it is such an horrifically tragic irony, though, that this is also taking place in Ohio, um, which, you know, is kind of ground zero for the opioid crisis that's going on in America. Um, one thing, though, Reed, I, wanna, I wanted to ask about is, uh, Husel's lawyer is a pretty um, high-powered attorney that has represented a kind of 
celebrity people before, right? Yeah, yeah. A lot of our listeners might have heard the name Jose Baez. As far as defense attorneys or trial lawyers go, he's probably one of the most well-known in the country, dating back to when he represented Casey Anthony, who was, of course, acquitted of murder. And then more recently, he garnered a lot of attention for defending Aaron Hernandez, uh, the, the former Patriots player. So we can bet that Husel is going to be well represented when and if the case does go to trial. Read something else that you mentioned in this episode, but that I wanted to highlight is that uh, there are other staffers who have lost their jobs because of all this, right? Yeah, that's an important point that that shouldn't get lost in all of this, that even if everything happened exactly as it's been alleged, it wasn't caused by one person's actions. It wasn't caused by one person alone. There were dozens of people involved in the administering of these drugs and others that could have or probably uh, some would say should have noticed something was wrong. And that's where we have seen the hospital take at least some responsibility and they have made some changes. But of course, there are still some unanswered questions as to exactly when they knew there was a problem and if they could have saved lives by acting on whatever information it was they had any sooner. And we know that they had at least some report about Dr. Husel and then before they took action in in taking him off the floor, three more people did die. And so those questions are still there. And Reed, I know that Mount Carmel Hospital, they actually have like this very specific criteria in order to work as a critical care intensivist. And there are some questions as to whether Husel actually met those criteria. Is that correct? Yeah, that is another question that's been raised in all of this. And what Bennett Haberly told me is that they've had some sources allege that the hospital was negligent in in hiring him for this specific role to be a critical care intensivist and that the hospital has certain requirements for someone working in that role. And Husel appears to have only met two of the four requirements that the hospital has. The hospital, however, has disputed this claim and, and essentially said that he uh, was well qualified for the role as far as they knew. All right, Reed, thanks for bringing us the story this week. I know you worked close with 10TV and Columbus on, on this one. Yeah, a huge thanks to 10TV investigative reporter Bennett Haberly for talking to us about his reporting on this story. And for anyone who's interested in learning more about this story, I know it's a complicated one. Or if you're interested in learning more of the stories of some of the 35 people who died after allegedly receiving excessive doses of fentanyl, you can head over to 10TV.com slash deadly dosage for all of 10TV's reporting on the story. All right. And Spencer, if folks want to learn more about the show and chat with 5,000 plus members of our Facebook group, uh, where do they go? Yeah, we do. We have a lot of like-minded true crime fans on our Facebook group, which is called Inside the Crime Vault. We hope to see you on there. We will be back next week with a new case and a new story. 